Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. We're glad that you're here wrapping up a series this morning that we have been in for several weeks now, a vitally important series, probably... um, one of the most, if not the most, important series that we will ever go through as a church. In fact, it's so important that we repeat this series, a variant of it, about every two and a half to three years. Um, why do we do that? Because many of us in the room have a tendency of forgetting things. So we need a reminder from time to time of who we really are and what we stand for. Um, we need a reminder of the non-negotiables, the things that, that we will not waver on. So we take time and we process through and and rehash through this series. We also go over it again and again because we're ever-growing. Bethel Assembly is continuously growing, always seeing new faces. So we've got to take the time for every one of us to be able to get on the same page. This morning, our text is found in Psalm chapter 7, verse 8, the latter portion. And David is writing here, and he makes this statement. Judge me... O Lord, according to my integrity. Judge me, O Lord, according to my integrity. I want you to pinmark that statement just for a moment because we're going to talk about that today. What have we looked at the last few weeks? We've talked about core value number one. Do you remember it? We value prayer. Excellent. Some of you can read. You looked at your paper there. Job well done. Number two, we value unity that means we work together on the same goal and the same purpose moving forward we value number three we value outreach we believe the church is more than just for our four and no more we believe that god has called us to go into all the world and share the good news with everyone everywhere that begins right here in our community that expands out into the surrounding areas that's also around the world. We believe that we are called to reach out, to have outreach opportunities for all people. Number four, we value people. Why do we value people? Because God values people. Aren't you glad that God values people? If you did not say amen, then you got some sort of messed up thought right now. God so loved people. He so loved the people of this world that he sent Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary for us. If God loves people so much that he will willfully sacrifice his one and only son for a people that are messed up, how do I know that? Because the Bible says while we were still sinners, Jesus came if God values people that much, it's got to be one of our core values. Because if we want our heart to beat for the things that, that beat in the heart of God, if we want our heart to break for the things that break the heart of God, then we've got to line up with his thought process. We value people. But it goes a step further than that. Number five, we value family. Look around the room. We are family. Working together, living life together. That's why we're launching life groups. That's why we have men's breakfast. That's why we have women's activity. That's why we gather together on a regular basis because we value this opportunity to bond one with another, to, to sharpen one another, to encourage one another. Quite honestly, sometimes to correct and rebuke one another. Yes? Isn't that what a family does? 
We've got to spend that time together. Why? Because we value family. And last week we learned core value number six. We value worship. We believe in worship. That's our, our communication with God. Yes, we have prayer, and that, that's the vital portion, but the worship, that, that gives us that opportunity to, to forget about everything else, to push everything else aside, and to look to God, because when we begin to worship, our entire atmosphere begins to change. I, I would encourage you, if you have missed any given Sunday during this series, go back, grab a CD, grab the podcast, Go on the website, go on Facebook, go someplace and hash through this and grab a hold of who we are as a church. But this morning, I want to look at core value number seven. Core value number seven, we value integrity. I've already read our text to you, but I want to read it again. Psalm chapter seven, verse eight. It says, judge me, O Lord, according to my integrity. That's a very um, difficult statement to make. It's a very courageous statement to make. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you this morning would say, yeah, that's my heart's cry every day. God, judge me according to my integrity. Now, if I was to have you raise your hand, I don't know if there would be any hands at all raised in this place. Why? Because we falter, we stumble, we fall short, we make mistakes. But David here, he made a very courageous statement. He said, God, judge me according to my integrity. But here's the good news for you and the good news for me. God is a, a righteous judge and he measures our integrity. He measures our holiness by his integrity and holiness. You see, we are not righteous because of who we are. We're not righteous because what we achieve on our own. We're not righteous because of what we can do. We are righteous because what he has done for us. Righteousness is right standing between God and between people. See, sometimes we forget about that one between people, but it's important. Jesus himself said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two are equally important. You can't separate them. So how do we come to that place that we can be in right standing with God and be in right standing with people on a continual basis? How do we get to that place of living a life of integrity and being able to say, God, look at my life. Look at the integrity inside of me, Lord. Search me, O oh God. Lord, know my thoughts. Lord, know my actions. Lord, know my behaviors. Lord, know what's going on deep inside of me, even the things that no one else can see. Lord, see what's happening in me. How do we get to that place? See, we don't want to just say that on the books, Bethel Assembly values integrity. On paper, that looks really good. We look at that and say, yeah, that's a good church. They value integrity. They stand for integrity. But when the rubber meets the road, what's that look like? Our society has fallen short on integrity. 
You turn on the TV, you turn on social media, you look about anywhere in this world and you're going to find a shortage of integrity. Even the leaders, those that we once held high, have let us down. Some political leaders, sport leaders, politicians, church leaders, maybe even those in your household have lost the sense of integrity. The good news is God looks upon us through the price that Jesus Christ paid. He doesn't measure integrity by my opinion. He doesn't measure integrity by your opinion. But he measures integrity by his truth. This is the foundation. God responds to his truth. The problem is in our culture, truth has become a matter of opinion. How does it affect you? How do you perceive it? Could it be that this shortage of integrity has caused or even is causing the majority of our society's problems? Let me say that again. Some of you need to let that sink in just for a moment. Could it be by chance that this shortage of integrity that we see running rampant across our nation at every level, could it be that this lack of integrity has caused and even is causing the majority of our society's issues? I believe it is and I believe it does. A closer examination of the idea of integrity tells us this. Integrity is a, a code of ethics or values by which we are measured. It's what we base. It's, so what is the basis of that code of ethics? It must be set upon God's word. If we're really going to live a life of integrity... It's not just, is this good for me? Is this good for you? Am I, am I not harming anybody? It, that's not really the case. The, the question is, is it based upon God's word? Is this the foundation of the ethics? Is the Bible the word of God? Is this the, the source of the value system in which we are living our everyday lives? If you say today, well, pastor, I really never even open the Bible. I really don't even look at the Bible. In fact, I'm, I don't even carry one anymore because I've got it on my phone. But quite honestly, I haven't opened up that app in like 45 days or 123 days. and I really don't dive into God's Word. Then I tell you something. You're missing out on the foundation. You're trying to live your life without the owner's manual. Sitting in my daughter's car yesterday. We just got her a car. She turned 16. Uh, pray for us. Uh, and we're sitting in her car yesterday, and she's asking me questions. We're driving down the road, and she's asking me questions. Dad, what does this do? And this, this little thing over here has these initials on it. And what does this mean? And I said, 
I have no idea. My car doesn't have that. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. And she said, but dad, you're supposed to know. And I said, do you remember that owner's manual that I downloaded online and I, I sent you the PDF copy and I sent it to your email and I told you, put this in your phone, that way you can kind of flip through and know what's going on? Yeah, look in there. At one point, she was pushing buttons. We're sitting in a parking lot and she's just pushing buttons. I said, you might not want to do that. I've watched enough spy movies to know there is that button that ejects you out of the front seat. I don't think her car has that, but it could. I said, don't push any buttons until you look at the owner's manual. I would tell you the same thing goes in your personal life. You're pushing the wrong buttons. You're going to find yourself ejected out of the seats. You're going to find yourself going down a path that you don't want to go down. Go to the truth. Go to the foundation. Go to our source of ethics. The word of God. It was Thomas McCauley that once said this, the measure of a man's real character is what he would do if he knew he would never be found out. Well, you didn't say much there. What would you do? To what extent would you go what choices would you make if you knew that you could get away with it and no one would ever, ever, ever find out? Wow. Another way to say it would be this. Character is the way you behave when you think that no one is watching. What is your level of integrity? Where do you stand in this idea of integrity? This morning, I want to go back to the Old Testament. I want to look at a story of a man that many of you in the room probably are familiar with. You, if you grew up in the church, maybe you saw and heard about his story in Sunday school class or in a, in a Bible study at some point in time. A guy by the name of Daniel. Daniel is the guy that, that had a group of individuals around him that were a bit jealous of Daniel. See, here's kind of how the story went. You can find the story in the book of Daniel, ironically. Uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Daniel has been joined together with King Nebuchadnezzar. If you go back several years into chapter 1, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had some individuals brought to him. He said, in fact, he goes, I want to have some young men that I want to train up. I want to kind of work with them. Uh, but they need to be strong, healthy, good-looking young men. So Daniel was a good-looking guy. He was a, a strong guy. He was a, a capable guy. And we see Daniel, he was able to interpret dreams. And some great things were going for Daniel. He really gained the king's favor the king liked him a lot but how many of you know when you're doing the right thing sometimes many times there are people around you that aren't going to like that they become a, a wee bit jealous of you and that's kind of what was happening in daniel's life so these individuals went to the king and they said hey king here's what we want you to do and they didn't share daniel's name because if they would have done that that would have messed up their plan 
but they went to the king and said, King, here's what we need to do. We need to set up a law that says that no one can pray to anyone else but to you because you're the king. I mean, you're the man. You're the big man on campus. We need to honor you. We need to look to you. We need to worship you. And the king suddenly had a big head moment. He said, oh, guys, what a great plan. Right? But here was the problem. Daniel was a man that loved God with all of his heart. He was 100% dedicated to God. And in the midst of this story, we're going to find that there are two foundational ingredients to the bedrock of what we need in our individual lives and corporately as the church as we look at this idea and dive into this idea of integrity. So they convince the king that this is a great idea. The king signs it into law. As the story goes on, because Daniel was honoring God, Daniel continued to pray. If you remember the story, the guys went by and they saw Daniel praying. They're like, we got him. And they went to the king and said, man, king, there's somebody that is disrespecting you. There's somebody that's going against your law. There's this guy that we just saw that was praying to somebody but you. And the king's like, what? Who in the world could that be? And they said, it's your man, Daniel. Daniel's broken the law. He says, well, we've got to follow what we've set in motion. Orders for Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. What would you do if you were set in that situation? I want to look at Daniel's life. And by the way, Daniel was rescued out of this lion's den. And I'm not going to take time to process through the story. I want to look at the heart and what happened in the midst of this decision process. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says this, But Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. You can imagine why guys around him were a wee bit jealous of Daniel. Plus, he's good looking. We saw that in chapter 1. The vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal or skeleton in Daniel's life. Surely there's a skeleton someplace, right? They could find some skeleton or scandal in Daniel's life that they could use against him, but they couldn't dig up anything. He was totally exemplary and trustworthy. They could find no evidence of negligence or misconduct. Daniel was a man that exemplified God to a wicked culture. Daniel was a man that was willing to stand for the things of God even when the world around him was going the opposite direction. Because of his witness, because of his stance with God, because of his consistency, he found favor with the king of Babylon. I'm here to tell you today, like Daniel, we are called to be set apart. We are called to be godly, even in a world that is anything else but godly. 
Daniel was promoted in the government, which led to a powerful impact for God in that area. So how do we obtain that today? I want to look at two very basic ingredients that we must possess in our lives. Two basic things that, that I see in this story of Daniel that if we'll just grab a hold of it, it will help us to move forward in this idea and this process of integrity. Number one is this. We must possess an excellent spirit. We must possess an excellent spirit. Now, our word for 2018 as a church, if you remember back to January as I laid the, the groundwork for the year, our word for this year was excellence. Every year I, I kind of seek out God, and God, what do you have for Bethel Assembly? Where are we headed? And, and at times he gives me an idea or a word of, of what we really need to focus on. And I really felt that 2018 was going to be our year of excellence. We're going to take a look at what we're doing and, and make some corrections. In fact, I ask the staff regularly, and you can, you can ask them to testify to this. I ask them, guys, are we, are we doing everything to a high level? Is there anything, any area where we've fallen short? Any area where we've gotten comfortable? We're not doing things where we need to do them. Is there any area that we need to step up? I'm always presenting this to them because we've got to live the life of excellence. But is it enough just to give excellence as a church? Is it enough for us just to have great programs? Is it enough just for us to offer a great service on Sundays? Is it enough for us just to send out or give out pamphlets that are done in excellence? Is it enough for just the routine and the maintenance of the church to be done with excellence? I don't believe so. I believe excellence has to start here, inside of us. Not just in me, but in, in you, and in you, and in you, and in you, and in you. If we really value this idea of integrity, if we really wrap ourselves around this idea of integrity, if it's really a non-negotiable, then we must possess an excellent spirit. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, it said Daniel had an excellent spirit in him. Daniel presented, Daniel displayed, Daniel had inside of him an excellent spirit. In other words, a great attitude. Daniel had purposed that he would not defile himself. Look at Daniel 1.8. But Daniel was determined to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. He had an attitude of, God, I want to honor you God I set my mind upon your things God I set my desire upon your ways God I place my heart upon your heart God I want my life to display you you see as a young man a very young man Daniel determined in his heart that he would not defile himself he would not compromise he would hold his relationship with God at an excellent level. He wouldn't become mediocre or average. He wanted to be above reproach. Daniel was a man of integrity. And I ask you today, can you make this kind of cry in your life? Lord, I do not want to defile myself. 
Lord, I don't want to compromise. Have you determined in your heart to remain the man or the woman that God's called you to be, to hold on to the standards of excellence and integrity? See, between Daniel chapter 1, when Daniel was a young man and the king chose him, until Daniel chapter 6, I'm told that the almost 60 years has transpired. 60 years of Daniel holding on to this excellent spirit, of Daniel holding on to this determination, this attitude that I want to please God. There was no error to be found in his life. There was no error in his religious walk. There was no error in his dealings with the people. There was no error in his dealings with the government. He was above reproach in every way. He had raised the standard. Why? Because he was determined in his heart that he wanted to please God. Verse 4 tells us that no one could find faults. No one could find error in Daniel. And I ask you today, kind of a personal question. If we were to do some research on you, if somebody was to do some research on you, could they find errors in your way? Could they find some skeletons in the closet? Some areas where you've compromised? Daniel was a man of integrity that displayed an attitude that gave him favor not only with others but also with God. How did he develop this attitude? Did it just happen? Was he just the chosen one? He wakes up one morning, he's a young man, and he's a, suddenly a man of integrity, and he, he never has temptation. He never has issues. There's never any problems. There's never any moment of compromise. No. See, Daniel developed this attitude because of our core value number one. Daniel was a man of prayer. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 says this, Daniel knelt down on his knees three times that day. What day are we talking about? This is the day that declaration just came out that no one could worship any other God or any other person but the king. What does Daniel do? I got to go pray about this. The Bible says he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and thanked uh, and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. He knelt down three times that day and gave thanks to God. This was part of his routine. This was part of his life. This is part of what he did. This is what brought Daniel to that level of being a man of integrity. Now, this wasn't just three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. This wasn't just, now I lay me down to sleep. But Daniel took the time to seek the face of the Lord. Look at this. In verse 10, it says this. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. 
He sought the face of God. He cried out to God. He believed that God was the only one that could meet every need in his life. He knew that God was the source, the foundation, even when it meant the possibility. You ready for this? Even when it meant the possibility of being thrown into the lion's den, Daniel chose to remain faithful to his integrity. See, Daniel's prayer accomplished a couple things in his life. Number one, it did this. It developed his attitude toward God. Daniel's prayer life, it, it developed his attitude, his trust, his reliance upon God. It's something he did. He had a regular communication with God. For 60 years, we see here that Daniel spent time in prayer. Beginning in chapter 1, I will not defile myself. And now in chapter 6, almost 60 years later, in the face of being thrown into the den of lions, he says, I've still got to pray to God. Because here's what he discovered. The more he talked to God the more that his love for God grew. Wow. The more that he cried out to God, the more that his love for God grew. It grew to the point that he would say, God, I'm willing to do anything for you. But also the more that he talked to God, the more he trusted God. Why is that? Because the more that he knew about God, the more he loved God, the more that he knew that God would never fail him. That God would never abandon him. Before he was ever thrown into the lion's den, Daniel's heart was already prepared for what would or would not happen. If the lions killed him on that day, okay. If God spared him that day, Okay. See, the mark of a, a mature Christian, and this is hard, let me just be straight up and honest with you, is saying this, God, I will trust you whether you deliver me or not. That's hard. It sounds really good on paper and on a screen. It sounds really, really good. God, I will trust you whether you deliver me or not. But how do we come to that place? How do we come to that place of total dependence upon God? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Cast your cares upon the Lord. God will never leave you or abandon you. The battle is not yours. Victory is yours. Lean upon God. Lean not on your own understandings. Trust in Him. He'll make the path straight. How do we come to that place? Continuously come back to the feet of God. Lord, it's not me, God. It's not about me, God. It's not my heart. It's not my desire. But Lord, I want more of you inside of me so that when the obstacle comes, God, when the problems come, God, when the possibility comes, God, I will continue to stand for you. What would you do? Suddenly a decree comes out from the government that says, from this day forward, you can't worship God. From this day forward, 
The only one you can pray to is the governor, president, the mayor, whatever. But not God. What would you do? See, Daniel's prayer accomplished a development of his attitude toward God, but it also demonstrated his attitude toward others. They searched and they searched and they searched, trying to find some sort of skeleton in Daniel's closet. But what Daniel had learned is that his prayers affected his behavior with others. I encourage you, be here starting next Sunday. We're going to do a a semi-short series that we're calling Messy. Loving others isn't easy. We're going to talk about all of these things. I encourage you, be a part of what's happening. The more that Daniel talked to God, the more aware he became of others. God, I love you so much. And well, because I love you, suddenly I love them more. I don't really understand, God, why I love them more, but all that I know is more that I press in to you, God, more that I call out to you, more that I seek your face, my love for people becomes stronger and stronger. The Bible says don't just look out for your own behavior, your own attitude, your own reward, but look out to those around you. Don't think so much about yourself. But also the more that he talked to God, the more determined he was a confidence welled up inside of him the more that he pressed into god he realized the authority that he had in god can you say like daniel even in the face of opposition even when i'm falsely accused or unfairly accused i'll be honest and truthful i'll take the high road i'll not respond spitefully I won't use my position to justify my actions. Daniel could have said, oh, well, I believe that the rule doesn't apply to me because of my stance. I'm above all of them. He could have done that. I don't know how far it would have got him. He could have tried it. But regardless of the outcome, he was willing to worship God. What kind of attitude do you have toward God? What sort of attitude are you de- demonstrating to those around you? You see, for Daniel, he possessed an excellent spirit in all that he said and all that he did. It displayed, it, ex- uh, it represented who God truly is. Daniel was a man of integrity. The second ingredient that I see very quickly is this. We must always be faithful. Look at your neighbor, say always. Now, I could have said we must be faithful because in that we would allow for some sort of loophole. Have you noticed that our society looks for the loophole? Okay, well, when he says we've got to be faithful, that means what, how I interpret that to mean is this. I've got to be faithful in those times when everything is going right, but, but when somebody's not fair to me, when somebody doesn't treat me right, then I can justify my behavior and, and I can kind of go off course for a moment because of the way they treated me. Isn't that what society does? But here we're saying, I must always, which eliminates the loophole. 
Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 said this. He, or Daniel, was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Look at that. Wow. He was not only faithful, but always responsible. Anybody in the room in here right now, always responsible? No? Not even my staff? What, guys? <laughs> completely trustworthy. You never falter. You never waver. You're always trustworthy. I was Daniel. He displayed this excellent spirit, but he was always faithful. He was faithful in two aspects. Number one, he was faithful to God. He wasn't going to let God down. He refused. He determined in his mind that he will not defile his life. He will not compromise his life. Look at verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed. Look at that. He, he did, it doesn't say... But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, found a dark corner where no one could find him, made sure the blinds were pulled, the door was closed, soundproofed the room, knelt down and prayed to God. Doesn't say that, does it? But he went to his usual place of prayer. He opened the window. He looked toward Jerusalem and he cried out to God. Daniel was faithful to God. He wasn't about to allow himself to be compromised. Number two, Daniel was faithful to the truth. We just read it. He was completely trustworthy. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some faults in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Daniel wanted to maintain personal integrity. He wanted to maintain personal purity. He wasn't going to let himself down, and he wasn't going to let God down. See, if we're going to live as men and women of integrity, we must understand that integrity is not something that we can waffle. It's not something that we can flip-flop. It takes commitments. It takes continual faithfulness. It takes a confidence and an assurance that, God, I'm going to carry this out. Daniel had opportunities. He could have reneged on his commitments. He could have said, sure, I know that I said I won't defile my life, but hey, it's one time. It's not hurting anybody. It doesn't bother anyone else. No. He chose to remain faithful. In our courts in this country, before a witness takes the stand, they are asked to swear upon the Bible, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. 
The problem is that our perception of the truth has been twisted. We have a standard for others and we have a different standard for ourselves. See, the man or the woman who would never consider unfaithfulness thinks nothing of cheating on their taxes because they justify that if the government mishandles their money, then it must be okay to exaggerate my expense. The problem is this departs from the truth and it lets God down. The man or the woman who would never kill somebody, they'll say with their lips, it's okay, I forgive you. But in their hearts, they'll say, I hate you and I will never forgive you. Jesus said, you've committed murder anyway. It departs from the truth. It lets God down. The individual who cheats on a test because they think that the teacher's just not fair, they depart from the truth. They let God down. The one who repeats a story, picking and choosing certain parts and creates gossip, departs from the truth and they let God down. The one who lies to manipulate the situation departs from the truth and they let God down. I could continue on and on, but I think you get the points. What happens when we're not committed to the truth? We will consistently and even unconsciously weave a web of information and half-truths. Being deceived, we begin to deceive ourselves. Where do you stand on integrity? In all aspects of life, in all areas of life, where do you stand in your life with integrity? Because integrity, I believe, pleases God, it affects others, but integrity also blesses the individual. You begin to live a life of integrity. Look at Daniel. He received favor from God and from man because he was consistent in his integrity. He was always faithful, completely trustworthy, dependable in every situation, never compromising, never living a half-truth. Are you living a life of integrity here today? Are you living a life of integrity at home? Are you living a life of integrity at the workplace and your hobbies? Many years ago, there was a boat that sailed that was said to be unsinkable. The Titanic. It's unsinkable. It'll never go down. They tried to compartmentalize. They had large walls. It was supposed to keep everything safe. But the problem is water got into one, which got into another, which got into another, which caused the ship to sink. Some of us are saying to ourselves, if I just compartmentalize myself, if I have my, my church self and my work self and my home self and my community self, I departmentalize every area of my life, then I'll be okay. But the problem is, once the destruction begins, it'll continue to be across the way. Are you willing to live a life of integrity? Because integrity is a willful choice by you by you to do the right thing. 
I can't choose for you. You can't choose for me. It's saying, God, from this point on, I will not defile myself. God, from this point on, I will not compromise the truth. God, I walk this path with you. What about you? Will you take that stand today? Dad, will you begin to be the man that God's called you to be, the man of integrity? Mom, will you lead the way in integrity? Young adults, will you choose today? As Daniel was a young man, he made that choice. Will you make that choice today? God, I want to be a man, I want to be a woman of integrity.